wondered what goes on behind the scenes at your favorite theme parks? Well, you're about to find out. So pull the harness all the way over your shoulders till it reaches your lap. Keep arms and legs inside the train at all times and hold on because it's time for the Theme Park Legends Podcast with your host, Steve Honeycutt. Welcome back to the Theme Park Legends Podcast, the show that takes a look behind the magic of all your favorite theme parks. I'm your host, Steve Honeycutt Jr. (laughs) I just thought I'd uh, emphasize the junior part this time. Because of my name that I was able to book uh, this episode's guest, Keith James. Theme park legend blows my mind the parks that this guy has helped build. Uh, Universal, Canada's Wonderland, uh, King's Island, King's Dominion. He was at the beginning of all of it. He was basically at the beginning of the modern theme park industry, as you're about to hear And the way that I was able to get him on here is, I I don't know how he heard about us. (laughs) His people, his secretary or someone emailed me. We exchanged emails for quite a while trying to uh, find the right time to uh, interview uh, Mr. James. And uh, then the day finally came, and I think he was a little surprised because... I think he thought he was going to be talking to my dad. (laughs) But that is okay. Uh, It's a serendipity, right? That's a um, fortuitous mistake. I believe that's what serendipity means. And it's definitely fortuitous for you because it means another episode of Theme Park Legends. And if you're a regular listener, I thank you for staying subscribed. We're going to get right to the interview. But first... I would like to ask you a question. Have you ever walked around, say, Disneyland or Islands of Adventure? Uh, Maybe you rode the Spider-Man ride or you went on the Guardians of the Galaxy thingamabob. What is it, a tower? It used to be Tower of Terror. Now it's the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, whatever. But you wonder, where did these amazing characters come from? Well, they came uh, from a comic book written by human beings, and uh, I am a human being who also has written a comic book, and the Issue 3 Kickstarter is going on right now. It's called uh, Escape to Earth. It's uh, lots of action and adventure and dinosaurs. Regular listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. If uh, you enjoy Theme Park Legends and you would like to help uh, contribute to the work I do here, or maybe you just really love comic books, Uh, Why don't you go on over to Kickstarter? There will be a link in the description and check it out. Before we get to the interview, I'm going to play the cinematic trailer for Escape to Earth. And then I'll see you on the other side with my interview with Keith James. I'm having a weird, weird day. The name's Adam. Where I'm from, I'm known as the Zero Thief. Depending on who you ask, some might say I'm the best thief. But believe it or not, even the best screws up every once in a while. And that's what I did, and I had to make a fast getaway. Ended up crash landing on this bizarre planet. Turns out, I didn't get away fast enough. These winged freaks followed me here. It's just us here, zero thief, on this empty backwards planet. So start talking, either to me or my blade. Okay, okay, I do have something to tell you. It's about the planet. It's not that empty. Come on, man. I thought you were going to die. Cut me loose. Behind you. Whoa. Thought I was done for. It was going to be a light snack for a snarling creature. But then she showed up, riding on the back of one of those monsters like it was nothing. And with a wave of her hand, The other razor-toothed beast just stomped away. I'd never seen anyone like her before in my life. I thought I'd say something clever. Thanks, uh, have you seen my ship? She gave me a look that said more than words ever could, because I think she was trying to read my mind or something. And from there, things just got even weirder. Issue 3, The Dinosaur Stampede. Crowdfunding now, only on Kickstarter. Get it now, before it's extinct. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today is Keith James. Keith, how's it going today? Very good, Steve. I'm uh, 
enjoying a very sunny day in Cincinnati, looking out the window. So it's nice and uh, overcast over here in uh, California uh, for once. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, um, what exactly uh, do you do in the uh, theme park industry right now? Okay, well, I, I I have to tell you, I'm I'm toward the I'm certainly on the toward the end of my career. I've been in the business for fifty. This IAPA will be fifty-two years um, that I've been in the business. I joined. I needed a job to pay for college. That's how I got into business. I had to pay my tuition, so I went to work at a park in Cincinnati called Kings Island. And I've, uh, you know, and it's still it's up the road. I live in Cincinnati now. We lived pretty much around the world. We lived in Cincinnati, Toronto. Vancouver, Sydney, Australia, Orlando, and then back to Cincinnati. Uh, we never expected to come back to Cincinnati, but I came back to work with my friend Jack Rouse, who was my mentor and also my university professor. So that he, he uh, Jack was hired in the early '70s to he and a fellow named Carmen De Leon were hired to produce all the entertainment at Kings Island uh, when it opened. And there was lots and lots of live entertainment. We had well, probably 300 staff in the just in the entertainment department at Kings Island the year it opened. And I needed a job to pay my tuition and applied for the position of stage manager in the theater. I got the job. And uh, shortly after the park opened, Carmen, who had come out of the classical music industry, wanted to get back into the classical music industry. So he left the park and I kind of fell into the position of assistant entertainment director at Kings Island. I was only 19 oh, wow. at the time. And uh, that's how I got started. And that summer in the melodrama and then subsequently <laughs> in the theater um, was a young lady by the name of Patty Schmitz mm -hmm. who went on to become Patty James. And we're day after tomorrow celebrating our 44th wedding anniversary. <laughs> so you met uh, your <laughs> wife at the very first theme park that you worked at. Yep. Yep. Uh, My favorite theme park, Kings Island. We, uh, Patty and I met, she auditioned for the entertainment department when she was 15 mm -hmm. in November of 1971. Actually, I think the auditions might have been in December or even January of 72, but she auditioned the first year and we got to know one another. And as she will tell you, we dated for a long, long, long time <laughs> and then got married in 1979 um, and immediately moved to Toronto. Nice. Yeah, that, yeah. that sounds uh, very similar uh, to my dad's uh, sort of uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. career, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we'll talk about him later, uh, if we have to. <laughs> uh, so I imagine um, uh, you probably you must have attended Kings Island uh, as a guest quite a bit before you ended up uh, working there. Was that like the park that you sort of grew up uh, going to? Well, and yes, I I grew up going to a park called Coney Island. Oh, all right. Which was the the predecessor to Kings Island. It was a an old, very successful family amusement park in Cincinnati on the Ohio River, mm -hmm. and a company called Taft Broadcasting, which was based in Cincinnati, bought Coney Island from the shots and the Waxes, Those are the two families that owned it. And they built Kings Island. Uh, Taft also owned at the time, Hanna-Barbera Studios, Ooh. which would have been Fred Flintstone, Barney Rubble, Scooby-Doo. Oh, I'm familiar with their Yogi work, Bear. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so they bought uh, Coney Island and already owned Hanna-Barbera and built Kings Island, which is, oh, I think it's like 23 miles up the road from downtown Cincinnati mm -hmm. on Interstate 71. And my exposure to Kings Island was always as an employee. I, I have been as a guest 
more recently with my grandchildren. But when I, I got my first job in the theme park industry at Kings Island before it opened. Oh, wow. And so I've been there since the beginning. Um, and, you know, and I, I go back whenever I can to take my grandkids and with their they're younger right now, so it'll be fun to watch them grow. Uh, we have them from, I think one is almost two, Aww. and he's the youngest, and the oldest just turned 11. And there are six of them in total. So. <laughs> nice. Just let them uh, turn that theme park upside down, huh? Yeah, yep, <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah, I just uh, brought my son uh, for the first time to Universal Hollywood and Legoland. Um, he... Uh, he had an interesting time. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, so yeah, we... when uh, when you were going to this uh, park as a guest, did you ever think you would end up uh, working there? Well, the interesting thing is that my my exposure to the industry, I need to go back a little bit further uh, because I never went to Kings Island as a guest. Mm. I always worked. Oh, I always worked Okay. There. But I had my first exposure to a theme park was in 1970. I went to Disneyland and it was, um, as I, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, Jack Rouse was my mentor and my teacher. He and I also in the summer of 1970 took a three month motorcycle trip around the United States. Oh, nice. And while we were in Los Angeles, we visited Disneyland. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I had a great time. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I would have worked in a place like that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. I just, it was not, not what I was going to do. I had just graduated from high school. I had no idea what I was going to do. But I went to Kings Island. I went to Disneyland that summer. And uh, Jack and I, we went 15,000 miles on motorcycles that year got back in time for him to go back to the university as a teacher and for me to go to the university of Cincinnati as a student. And, uh, we're in general studies and where I eventually transferred into the theater department. And that's how the, the whole Kings Island entertainment department thing happened. Is that when you found out that they were hiring? Well, Jack and Carmen were hired to put together the entertainment department mm -hmm. and the conservatory of music at Cincinnati at the university of Cincinnati is one of the best performing arts schools in the country. Okay. And Jack was the professor in charge of that particular school or, or, or part of the university. And he and Carmen were hired to put together the entertainment program. And I was brought in to assist them from a, stage management and production management standpoint, right the park wasn't finished when we started. It was, you know, it was going to open in April and we started working in November of 71 and opened in April of 72. Nice. So, uh, you know, we, we put the entire program together at that point. And, you know, there, as I said, there were lots of shows all over the park, some in theaters, um, some out on like a medicine show on, or even the bandstand at the end of the fountains mm -hmm. at Kings Island. So it was a live entertainment everywhere in the park, but the industry, you asked me about the industry. I went to Disneyland on the motorcycle trip for fun. Mm -hmm. And I went to Kings Island in Cincinnati for work. Right. So I didn't really know much about the business. And in fairness, in 1972, when I started at Kings Island, there wasn't much of an industry. Mm. Disneyland opened in 55. Right. Six Flags, Texas was 61. Knott's Berry Farm had already opened. But there weren't very many parks. The Universal Tour in Hollywood, I think, was 64. And then... You know, in the early 70s, a whole bunch of parks opened. Mm -hmm. the, a lot of the Six Flags parks, Carowinds, Kings Dominion, uh, and, a, you know, a lot of parks in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then the industry expanded around the world. And I was lucky enough to 
to play a role in that. I had a, a great career moving around the world, um, building and operating parks for the parent company that I started working with in 1972 or 71. Nice, nice. So do you remember uh, how you felt when you were offered the job at, um, at King's? Well, I think, you know, I, I hate to make it mundane, but, you know, I was so relieved to be employed <laughs> and have income that allowed me to pay my tuition mm -hmm. that I, I, it was a job because the, there was no industry. I had no, no idea what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I was relieved to have a job. It was great to have a job in the entertainment industry because that's what I wanted to go into. I figured I'd either go to New York and work on Broadway, not as a performer, as a producer, or go to California and work in the movie business. Those were my two goals. And then Kings Island opened and I got a job there and I guess the, what you could say is 52 years later, I kind of have the same job, but the, the industry grew up. Mm -hmm. I just got lucky. I was there at the beginning. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a, uh, I'm on the entertainment side myself. Uh, I just, uh, one day I went and auditioned for Universal Orlando and then it just <laughs> sort of, uh, spiraled out from there. And then now I'm, I'm in Hollywood trying to m make my way out here. It's kind of hard when there's a strike going on, but, uh, but, you, <laughs> but you know, um, well, the, the, they, they will come to some agreement sooner or later, hopefully soon. Sure. Cause I know there are an awful lot of very talented people that are out of work and all they want to do is do a good job. Absolutely. To entertain people. So, so do you remember, uh, kind of like the early days, maybe, uh, maybe like the first, I don't know, six months or so of, uh, of what it was like. I mean, you're, uh, like you said, there was, uh, wasn't much of an industry and you're hired, uh, to run entertainment at, uh, I guess what is now sort of like a, a new park. Like how did it, um, how did it go down for you? Well, it was sort of, every day was a new day. We worked, we worked our asses off. Not, not that people don't now, but I would be at the park by 8.30 in the morning and I would leave at midnight and I worked every day of that summer. I bet. Of 72. And, you know, the first thing I would do was clean the trailers, which is, were the dressing rooms <laughs> for people. Oh, that... I would go to wardrobe and pick up the, put up, pick up the costumes and take them to the trailers where everybody, which, which, as I said, were the dressing rooms for the various entertainment locations throughout the park. Mm -hmm. And then during the day, wander around and make sure everybody's equipment was working and that if people had any concerns or complaints, um, the staff, that is, um, we'd try to help take care of them and make sure the signs were working and make sure that the costumes got fixed and kind of did whatever came up. We didn't know what we were doing. So we sort of did everything. Um, there was no, there was a plan, but the plan was, Hey, all these stages have show business on them mm -hmm. and they need to perform every day. Right. And the rest of it, we kind of made up as we were going <laughs> because we didn't really know. And I'd, I'd have to say that we weren't unique in that. We, the entertainment department, you know, the, the big retail and food departments were, they were making up too. The, the ride departments, they obviously had a lot of experience from Coney Island because it had been around and been successful mm -hmm. for years and years and years. But the volume of people that a place like Kings Island had as compared to the other thing, the other things was significant. You know, we had the characters that people wanted to see. So we got to rub elbows with Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera nice. and Scooby-Doo <laughs> and Fred Flintstone. Classic. Um, but, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to, to, uh, to meet them on a number of occasions. And ultimately later in my career, I worked with Bill Hanna again when we did the Hanna-Barbera ride at Universal Studios, Florida, where I worked from uh, 1987 till the end of 1991. 
Oh, well, yeah, we uh, <laughs> definitely missed each other then at that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was there at the beginning. I was there to build it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, the chaos of building any or starting any new park uh, is just insane, uh, even in entertainment. Uh, I've uh, I've been there, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, what was your actual uh, title when you first started? Was it uh, like director of entertainment, creative director? No, it was assistant director okay. of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that was for the first two summers. And then Taft Broadcasting was interested in expanding and building more parks. Mm-hmm. Six Flags had multiple parks, and uh, the Taft Broadcasting decided they wanted to do the same thing, so they decided to build another park in Richmond, Virginia, called King's Dominion. I know it well. And they, we formed, and I apologize, I don't remember the year, it's probably 73, Mm -hmm. we formed a company called King's Productions, which was a captive design and entertainment producing company for the theme park division of Taft Broadcasting. Okay. And we did all the design work for the parks and produced all the entertainment for Kings Island, then Kings Dominion. And then we bought Carowinds from Duke Power in uh, Charlotte. And another park, called Canada's Wonderland was developed from 1979 until it opened in uh, 81. Mm-hmm. We actually broke, did some of the earth earthwork in late 70, 78, but I worked for King's Productions from 73 until the end of 78 on the producing side of the entertainment and the design side of our new parks and the parks that we were acquired like Carowinds. And then the gentleman who was going to run Canada's Wonderland, this fellow by the name of Mike Bartlett, um, asked me to go to Toronto with him to run the design part of that theme park. Mm -hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, that is the park where I met your dad. <laughs> yep. Because uh, we, we, worked, we worked together at Canada's Wonderland. But I moved to Toronto in 1979, same year I got married to Patty. Mm-hmm. Um, she had worked at the park and on tour with different Broadway tours up until nice. that point. But in, in 1979, we moved to Toronto as newlyweds and lived there for four years and opened Canada's Wonderland. And I was the head of operation operations for that park for 1981-1982 in its first two years of operation. And so I was there through the construction. And then in uh, 1982, Mike Bartlett again had moved. He was now president of Expo 86 in Vancouver, Canada. And I moved to Vancouver to work with him Mm -hmm. as VP of operations for Expo 86. We moved to Vancouver in January of 83. And uh, we were going to stay there for a while, but then I was offered a job in Australia by the company that owned and operated Canada's Wonderland. Mm. And so Patty and I moved to Australia. But I should mention that while we lived in Vancouver, our older daughter, Alexis, was born. So uh-huh. we, had, we have a Canadian daughter who was born in our, I think we kind of moved to Vancouver primarily to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, my brother and I were technically born in Canada as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, I'm definitely seeing uh, some similarities here. Well, I, re- I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I actually remember the early days, and uh, and I, you know, with your dad, and uh, when they were getting married, mm-hmm. and Steve was getting married to uh, Sally, and you know, she, he worked with Jimmy Wilson and Frank Dillon, and um, oh my goodness, Bob Montgomery, mm-hmm. and 
Oh, all kinds of people who I still don't, see. Don't forget Dennis Gilbert, right? Oh, I still see Dennis. <laughs> I was going. Dennis's name was going to come up again later because I've seen Dennis numerous times through the years. Well, uh, I know you're probably not a big podcast guy, but they both have their own episodes. My dad and Dennis Gilbert. Okay. Uh, so uh, if you want to take a listen, you know that's. Uh, I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, well, we. I mean, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, there's the they came from other places. Mm -hmm. You know, Astral World or Carowinds. But as far as I'm concerned, they were my kids. Nah, all that. Because it's, you know, the, the Canada's Wonderland experience was amazing mm -hmm. for anybody who worked on it. And I think most of them will still say that today. Oh, sure. We had a great time. We were in another country. It was run like a family. Mm. And that family continues to stick together. I mean, when you go to the IAPAs around and you call together the people who started at Canada's Wonderland, it's it's quite something. You know, the, the roots of a lot of the world's fairs and a lot of the universal folks, a lot of the Lego folks, um, some of the Disney folks, <laughs> um, not many, fewer, fewer of those. Sure. But, um, yeah, it was it was quite an experience. And, you know, your dad and Jimmy and uh, Dennis and Bob Montgomery uh, and uh, Christine Kerr, Bjarni Christensen, God bless him, um, Mike Joss, Mike Ronaldo, Gary Wechter. I mean, that they these folks traveled the world and built some of the most impressive parks that anybody's ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I was lucky enough to be part of that. Yeah. It was the same thing with us when, um, I mean, me and the other entertainment folks, when we started at universal Singapore, cause they were still uh, working on that park when it showed up. And of course, you know, we're just, a couple of Americans and Australians all thrown together in Southeast Asia and the park wasn't even open for like several months. So we just had to entertain ourselves and, <laughs> you know, just, uh, learn to work together and just became a really big family. Just like, uh, what you're talking about. It's a great, it's a great park. I've been there many, many times and I still see friends there. And I think John L. Hallenbach ran the operation the first year. When we were there, and John's a very good friend of mine. He was with IAPA for a while. Mm -hmm. He's back with Universal. He's a very close family friend. But I remember when Daryl Metzger was the CEO of Sentosa, mm -hmm. and the deal for Universal was being done um, because we were doing some. We our my company JRA um, was doing some. We were doing some design work. Mm -hmm. on Sentosa for Terrell was making the deal for Universal and for the Hard Rock Casino. Mm -hmm. Was there a uh, was there a big difference between, you know, uh, going from uh, Kings Island to Canada's Wonderland, I guess, because you said there, I guess you started out as assistant director at Kings Island, and then now you said you were uh, – director of operations at Canada's Wonderland? Was there a, yeah, a big difference head, between? And I was head of planning and development. Mm -hmm. Well, we, it was, there were seven years in there where we had King's Productions and I was the assistant director right. of King's Productions mm -hmm. reporting to Jack and we had done the design work for the parks, any of the expansion. We produced the entertainment every year and we had done the majority of the concept design work for Canada's Wonderland mm -hmm. at King's Productions. Ah, I see. And I was heavily involved in that. So I moved to Canada to follow through on the design work to get it. I was not the project manager for the construction, but I worked very closely with them to get the park built. Mm -hmm. And so I was heavily involved in the development of the park and then stayed on to do the operation the first two years and i handled the day-to-day -day, uh workings of the park mm -hmm. and i loved that i loved the planning and development and i loved the operation just just as much i i had a great time doing either one 
I've spent more of my, my career on the design and development side, but I had a terrific time on the operating side as well. Gotcha. Oh, well, before uh, we uh, jump over to Canada's Wonderland, did you have any um, stories, uh, good or bad, of your days uh, working at Kings Island? It's just step that, uh, you know, jump out in your mind. One of the stories at Kings Island, that uh, this was scary at the time, but it's funny now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, the original theater at Kings Island, the idea of having a stage show was an afterthought mm. at Kings Island. So they didn't have a theater. So they put in an air structure. Hmm. And it was fine. Everything was good. Everything was built from the ground up, big lighting um, gantries and so forth and so on. And we had a silly thing that, you know, before every show, we'd say in the event that the air structure bursts a hole, you know, please lie on your back and blow upward. <laughs> and it was just a silly announcement. Mm -hmm. Well, a nasty, nasty maybe tornado went through Cincinnati oh, no. and the air structure popped mm -hmm. and we had a show going on and there were 1100 people in this thing plus the performers oh, wow. and the crew and the lie on your back and blow upwards was a little bit more serious than you thought. Now the blowers managed to keep it going mm -hmm. and we were able to, open the emergency doors to get everybody out rather than using the, uh, the rotating doors, mm -hmm. but the revolving doors. But at the time that was as scary as it could be because you could actually see the sky. Oh, wow. And we thought that the air structure might be coming down on top of 1100 guests mm. who, who couldn't get out <laughs> along with, you know, we probably had 30 or 40, staff members right in the air structure so that was funny but it uh fortunately it 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 was not the catastrophe we thought it was going to be but you i'm sure being from the entertainment business you understand there was a fair bit of drama <laughs> associated <laughs> with this particular situation i bet everybody was fine mm -hmm. but it was a uh, funny and fun to, to talk about but you know it was you know, every day there are stories of course. at theme parks just because, you know, you've got so many people um, and they all have stories and they all have different situations and, you know, silly situations with, you know, Scooby-Doo's Scooby tail is attached to your body in a manner that if somebody yanks on the tail... You it, you might double over mm. if you're a guy. Oh no! <laughs> Periodically, oh. the guests would wonder why Scooby Doo was rolling around in pain oh, on the ground. Oh no! <laughs> and um, I I feel for that because that was yeah. my first job was uh, okay. at Universal was Shrek and Homer. Uh, okay. Nobody really messed with them, but uh, but yeah 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 I um I feel for the mascots of the world. So you said your next stop was um, Australia. Uh, how yeah. how was that for you? Nickname the lucky country is true. the The weather is sensational. The people are the friendliest are. I have ever met. They are, and the Australians that I know and continue to play with and work with, they've never met a stranger. They're just delightful. And we moved to Sydney for four years. Mm -hmm to put together a park called Australia's Wonderland. Mm -hmm. And I was the managing director of that project. So I went down to build it and run it. Is, uh, we, is that park still around these days? No, it was bought by the gentleman who owns Sunway Lagoon in uh, Kuala, Lumpur, Kuala Lumpur. All right. Um, because we were in the western suburbs of Sydney, and as you probably know, Sydney can't go east because there's this ocean right. in the way yeah so the real estate in the west became exceptionally valuable mm. so the park uh lost lost to that lost to development wow so it wasn't even turned into another park they just sort of bulldozed no, no, it no. and built it into warehouses and 
uh, office buildings and other other things like that oh. in the western suburbs. Wow, that's it, that's kind of sad, kind of boring, if you ask me. Oh, I think it's really, I think it's very, very sad. But again, there were a lot of people that came out of Australia's Wonderland. I think Tim Fisher, who's the number two in Cedar Fair, was the was my assistant mm-hmm. in the in Australia. So he's gone on to great things. And interestingly enough, his wife, his wife performed in the shows at the park in Australia. And my wife was the choreographer. So we actually ended up introducing Tim and his wife, Shandell. <laughs> but most importantly, other than the, the park and the wonderful time we had with Australia's Wonderland, uh, my daughter, Chloe, my younger, younger daughter, is Australian. She was born. In, she was born in Sydney. Wow! So you've got a Canadian daughter and an Australian daughter, and you guys are American. That's amazing. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's that is correct. And so, uh, and Chloe, uh, Lexi, my older daughter, is actually not directly in my part of the business or our part of the business, but she works in the education department at the Cincinnati Zoo. Oh, nice. So she's in the attractions industry, and up until six or eight months ago, Chloe, my younger daughter, worked at JRA with me, and she now works with a company called Bainum, mm-hmm. uh, Bainum Solutions in, here in Cincinnati, and she's um, on to her next career. So after Australia, what was next for you? I was managing director of the park in Australia, and one Sunday afternoon I was working in the park and I received a phone call from a fellow by the name of Mike Bartlett, who I had worked with in Toronto and Vancouver. And Mike said, I'm working on this project in Orlando called Universal Studios. I'd like you to come work with me mm-hmm. in Orlando. And I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> do you mind coming to Orlando? And I was in Orlando two weeks later. Nice. And uh, spent four very enjoyable years working on one of the most complicated projects anybody ever thought of. It was the dream of a fellow by the name of Jay Stein, who was head of that part of the studio. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a bear of a project, but the end result was was just great. And again, Many, many friends. I worked for Mike there, Jeff McNair, who had been with us in Toronto, and then who had gone on to Vancouver after I left, was was heavily involved with Universal and then ultimately became one of the owners of a company called Forex, which is a... a, a competitor of JRA. So, so you helped build Universal Studios Orlando, huh? When I went there, it was a swamp. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you have any um, highlights of uh, opening that park that you want to mention? Well, the opening was hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the opening day was a nightmare. Uh, eventually, all the stuff worked, but we, uh, we built it very quickly <laughs> and cut off, cut off a lot of time from the announced date we opened it sooner which in hindsight may not have been the smartest thing to do <laughs> but it's proven to be an unbelievably successful dream and i credit jay stein with the park there are a lot of people who put it together certainly mm-hmm. but it was his dream and you know and, and credit has to go to him but it was it was the most challenging project I've ever worked on, but one of the most rewarding as well. Nice. And we were there from, Patty and I lived there from 87 till the end of 91. Mm -hmm. And then interestingly enough, I was home for Christmas, uh, home being Cincinnati, visiting my, my family and my Mm in-laws and Jack and Amy who had founded Jack Rouse Associates wanted to get back into the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. They had gotten into the corporate trade show business. They went into the entertainment business, and that's all I'd ever done. So we bought a company called 
Wyatt Design, which was headed up by Larry Wyatt, who had been formerly with Forex. Mm-hmm. And that started my tenure at JRA in 92, and I'm still there. Um, so what, what exactly does JRA do? Primarily in the design and planning of entertainment attractions all around the world. Mm-hmm. And JRA is what has really allowed me to see the world. I've worked in places like Toronto and Sydney and so forth, but seeing the world and doing work for other people all over the world has been thanks to JRA and now RWS, who I'll come to in a little while, is the company that, that bought JRA um, about a little year, more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but JRA, we've done... We did the planning for the Lego Park in England mm. and the majority of the design work for that as well, working with Lego and work with an architectural firm called WAT&G. Then we did the same work for Lego in California. Mm-hmm. And then as the other Legos have been built, uh, we still get calls about our drawings because our drawings have been used over and over and over in all the Lego parks around the world. Nice. So we're, we're lucky enough to still be answering questions. We worked for Ocean Park in Hong Kong. We've done quite a bit of work in uh, China, uh, Malaysia, a little bit of work in Indonesia and Thailand, um, some work in Europe. That's mostly our museum work, though, not our entertainment work, not the theme park work. A lot of work in the Middle East, probably the most famous project we've done is in the Middle East was we were the original designers of Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi. Oh, I, we, I went to that park. Okay. It, was, uh, it was the highlight of my time working in Dubai was going there. Um, Dennis, Dennis got us in. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, man, those, because I love roller coasters and that, um, <laughs> the one For, that... Formula Rosa. Yeah, that's it. Oh, man, that was insane. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one that supposedly it was at the time, it said it was the world's largest loop because like, I don't know what yeah. the deal with the Middle East is, but everything has to be the world's largest or biggest yep. or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Flying aces. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Both, it's yeah. a spectacular ride. Just mm-hmm. a spectacular ride. It, it was part of the expansion. It was in a location where we had planned for expansion, but that project was done uh, by others. And actually, I believe a lot of that theming, which is spectacular, was done by the staff. Mm. I I think it was, but that project was graded open in November of 2010. Uh, My first venture for JRA into the Middle East was in 2002. Mm. Uh, You know, it's... And... uh, Dubai stopped at about the point where the Burj Khalifa is. Mm. There were no buildings beyond that the first time I went there. It's so crazy, like the yeah. way that place yeah. is blown up. Yeah. Um, it's, it's incredible. And, it, and they're, they're, they're doing some great stuff. And now, of course, a lot of, a lot of work is in Saudi. A tremendous amount of work is in Saudi. And as you said, they're you know, the biggest and the best. Just wait. The stuff that's coming along will be breathtaking. Hmm. Mm. There you go. <laughs> I hope. I hope that through their efforts to change things, they'll be able to generate enough population and attendance to support everything that's being built. Uh, but they're certainly making the efforts to do that by opening up the the borders and so forth. But, but the JRA part, I came back. So you've to never Cincinnati felt the urge, like you know, maybe when you're done partner with the to get them back stuff, into the entertainment if that ever business. And, to uh, you know, as they know, say, like the direct, rest is history. Like a uh, local play you know, or something like that. In there, is that the something that you gentleman who I sold JRA to is a he's a fellow. I I became the sole owner of JRA in 2008 when my partners Amy Merrill and Jack mm-hmm. Rouse um, retired. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, Amy uh, died of cancer uh, after that. But Jack is still around. And in fact, I spoke to him just a couple of hours ago. We live about two right. minutes apart. We don't 
See, we have hamburgers about once every six weeks for lunch. Yeah, but I talk to him um, as often as I can. So that's you know, that's sort of the story. I've been. Patty likes me to throw in. I have accumulated wow. about eleven million miles through the course of the thirty or forty years. Well, fifty years in the in the business, and. Uh, Nice. You know, I haven't, I don't regret a day of it. I'm, I'm one of the lucky people is I love going to work. I still love going to work. I'm in my seventies and I, I have no intention nice. of stopping until I can't do it anymore. Huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That that comment had more to do with age than intent. <laughs> I have absolutely no intention of stopping nice. until I can't work. I have no hobbies other than enjoying whatever my wife and daughters and sons-in-law and grandchildren do. I'm a sports fan. Patty and I, are, we love the Reds. We're season ticket holders to the Bengals. We're season ticket holders to every theater mm, and every professional theater in Cincinnati. So, um, but that's, you know, that kind of covers it. My favorite park, obviously, is Kings Island because that's where I met Patty. <laughs> Great yeah, answer. That's where, I, that's where I started and that's where I met her. Mm-hmm. So if it, if it wasn't for that, none of the rest would have happened. I mean, I wouldn't have the kids. I wouldn't have moved to where I got to move to, I wouldn't have had the life I've had. The other parks, I really don't have favorites. I'd, I've done all this, and my favorites in all of this are the people. Oh, not, yeah. Not, not the projects. The, the projects are sensational. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not that I don't like them and think, them, think that they're remarkable, but I've done it for the people. I, and, I got you. And I will continue to for as, you know, as long as I'm able Do so you don't have like, uh, let's, let's pretend you didn't build these parks. Do you have like a, a favorite park to go to just as a guest by any chance? You know, not really, because when I go to a park, it's work, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. you know, I still walk around the park and if there's trash on the ground, I'll pick it up and throw it away. Um, that's my operating background and on the design side, I, you know, you can pretty well tell where the budget ran out. Gotcha. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I look at things, I don't have the ability. I really don't have the ability to look at the things as a guest mm-hmm. other than with my grandchildren or, um, you know, I, I, we, my wife and I, and, and, um, family and staff, um, we, uh, do a big give kids the world event mm. at uh, Kings Island each year. And I like to do that because, uh, you know, it's, it gives you a different perspective on why we do this. I'm, I used to like the woodies, the wood, wooden roller coasters, um, the rattling, you know, when, when, when I start to rattle, then it starts to hurt. <laughs> so anymore, I'm much more of mm-hmm. an observer, unless my grandchildren want to ride and nobody else will ride with them. I'll do that. Did, uh, did you ride that coaster in Abu Dhabi? The, the fast one? Of course we built it. <laughs> I was the first one on it. Oh, wow. That is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it does. Uh, and and for anyone who doesn't believe it, it does go 150 miles an hour in four seconds. <laughs> now, I think they've backed it off a little bit because it was eating the wheels. Oh, wow. So it's been, and it's been working like a charm since they backed it off. But keep your eyes and ears open for uh, the, uh, it's got Falcon in the name. I'm not sure what the rest of the name is, but. The roller coaster, the Six Flags roller coaster in Saudi. Okay. They say it's going to break our record. Did they uh, so, did they recently we'll build a Six Flags in Saudi? 
it's under construction now. Because they were originally going to build one uh, at the park, near the park that I was working at uh, in Dubai, um, near, uh, I don't even remember, Dubai Parks and Resorts. Were you familiar? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm very familiar with it. I guess they uh, changed their mind. They were going to build a Six Flags. Um, they actually got to the point, I think, they even contracted for it. And it didn't happen. But, of course, they were going to build a Universal as well and a number of other things. And, you know, they're going to expand things in Dubai, but I think they're going to be a little bit more reasonable with the scale of what they're doing because the Dubai Parks and Resorts Complex, Bollywood and Motion Gate and uh, Lego, they they need more guests. Mm. Um, they're nice. They're very nicely done. Uh, they're well-planned, well-designed, but they were designed for a lot more people than they receive, um, which is too bad. Um, yeah. But the uh, the Six Flags is it's under construction because I was there for an event in early March, and uh, this didn't happen. But they were going to top off the coaster right then. They were putting up the high piece of steel. Oh, wow. But but uh, it either was too windy or too sandy. There's something was a miss that day and i think they did it later because mm-hmm. it was a certainly a photo opportunity for them but the, the six flags i've seen video of it i haven't been to the site i've been to saudi a couple times mm-hmm. but i haven't been to that site um but it's it's going to be spectacular and if they do everything they say it's going to break a whole lot of records mm. wow uh, and and it it you know, a lot of very good people are working on the projects there. I just, I hope that with the the changes in the access to the countries and things like that, that it'll be, there'll be more people. Gotcha. Because it's just, you know, it takes a lot of people to make these things work. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they're, and they're spectacular. And they don't look nice when they're empty. No, no, no. They, you know, they're. They don't have to be overcrowded either. Right. But there's nothing, you know, there's nothing worse than an empty theme park when it's open. You got that right. Uh, And then it's creepy when it's uh, Disneyland at night. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Or in the middle of the winter. (laughs) You know, when when you're walking around the park, which, you know, it's good to get out and get fresh air when you work in the parks just to, to do that. But it's... you. But when you're operating, you just use your imagination. <laughs> you can visualize it filled with people. Right, right. But, uh, but it's still, as you said, you know, it's quite different at midnight after you've done the final sweep and everybody's gone to their cars in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there might be a straggler or two, but no more than that. And out come the hoses to clean down the street. <laughs> course so uh, out of all the places you've lived uh, i mean aside from cincinnati of course like which one would you say was your favorite um i'm i'm going to give you an answer that you won't like but <laughs> i mean cincinnati obviously is is home mm-hmm. and this is where my parents and my in-laws were i never expected to come back ever um but I'm very comfortable here. I like it. It was a great place for our daughters to spend most of their growing up time. Mm-hmm. And it's lovely for my grandchildren. Toronto was spectacular because Patty and I were newlyweds. Mm-hmm. And I had a great job that I loved. And she was one of the hottest performers in Toronto at the time. Mm-hmm. So we had an amazing life in Toronto. Vancouver was an adventure because it was beautiful. We weren't there for very long, but the adventure of doing that and then having a baby, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up with, I have one brother and sister and they were twins. So I only expe- I experienced that once. And my wife has six brothers and sisters. So she's used to a lot of kids. I wasn't. So that was spectacular having Lexi. Sydney, Australia, well, Vancouver too, but Sydney, Australia was one of the most picturesque picturesque places you will ever Hmm. visit 
or see. It's just phenomenal. Uh, again, the work was great. Again, Chloe was born. Um, I don't. I, I I don't regret one day of it. <laughs> and then Universal. Um, I can't say that Orlando was my favorite city because Orlando is really there for the attractions. Right, right, right. You know, it's not it's not really a city like right. Toronto or Vancouver sure. or uh, Sydney where the, the urban fabric is so intense and, oh, yes, by the way, there's a theme park. Right, right. Orlando exists. Hey, look at all these attractions. And, oh, by the way, we're all in Orlando. <laughs> oh, well said, uh, well said. <laughs> and, but the project, the Universal Studios project, the first one mm -hmm. changed the industry forever. And Universal has continued to do that. They pushed the edge. I mean, Disney does a spectacular job. No, I'm not taking anything away from the mouse at all. I've gotten a number of very, very close friends who work at, at Disney and have worked there for years. But Universal takes the chances. And I admire them for it. Sometimes they regret it <laughs> because it takes a long time to get things to work. But our industry is the way it is today because of Universal. They push the edge of the envelope and continue to do it. And I admire them for it. And I loved every minute of that, but it was hard. That was, that was hard. Well, uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for, uh, for answering my questions and for being on Theme Park Legends. Did you have anything else you wanted to add or anything to promote before we uh, sign off here? Um, Steve, I just, I appreciate the consideration. I've had, you know, the spectacular life and, I expect that JRA is going to live on and uh, with the with the tutelage and ownership of RWS, they're taking very good care of us and doing spending money to allow the company to expand, and that's great. And you know they're treating me very very well. So you know all I can do is all I really can do to the industry at all is just to say thank you. Oh wow. Because, hey, 50 years, and I've loved every minute of it. Yeah. So, but that's probably it. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on Theme Park Legends. Take care, Steve. Thank you. And that's going to do it for my interview with Keith James. I mean, I don't know about you, but just to meet someone who was involved with the creation of uh, some of my favorite theme parks uh, was just amazing. I mean, the man was there when Universal was nothing but Swampland. I mean, that just uh, blows my mind. And he's still doing it and still loving it. My dad has already tapped out. He retired. But Keith James is still going strong. Uh, I mean, you know, not to put down my dad or anything. Everyone's got their own limits on how much they can take and everything. We really appreciate uh, Keith coming on and uh, telling his story here at uh, Theme Park Legends. And I appreciate you, uh, dear listener, uh, for listening. And uh, once again, please don't forget about the uh, Escape to Worth Issue 3 Kickstarter. Christmas is right around the corner. Give the gift of insane dinosaur action. There's a link in the description. And as always, if you know someone who has worked at a theme park, a cruise ship, an escape room, a dinner theater, any sort of themed entertainment, please send them on over to me. That way we can have more episodes of Theme Park Legends. And as always, I will see you next time as we continue to unearth even more Theme Park Legends. Thanks for listening to the Theme Park Legends podcast. Make sure you retrieve all belongings while exiting the car. Should you forget anything or have any questions or comments, make sure you reach out to us on social media. And remember, have a legendary day.